Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Shelley Boyd. Now, Shelley runs a fantastic company here in Australia called Boyd Blue. Um, it's all based around supplying goods for interior designers. And one of the things that makes Shelley such an incredible standout is she understands A, the business, but B, how to put everything together herself. And you often would go into Shelley's showrooms and go, so what, what, who else do you need? Shelley could just come and do it all. She could, but she's, she doesn't. Um, but her resources are incredible and her eye is incredible and she seeks out beautiful product and is very, very consciously selects things based on people's values and company's values as well. So Shelley, it's such an honour to have you here. Thank you for joining me on Talk Design. Thank you, Adrian. It's so nice to be here. We're going to ask a whole lot of questions, but I want to kick off with one of your passions to start with. And then we'll come back to a whole lot of others. The words Triumph Herald. Now, for anybody who's um, in the US, you won't know what a Triumph Herald is, but you should look those two words up and think British when you do. Shelley, tell me about Triumph Heralds. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, very few of my friends and very few of my family know that I have a passion for Triumph Heralds. And it really only came about during, at the start of COVID. Oh, really? When yeah, we went, I mean, look, I've always, um, I used to have one when I was 18 in New yep. Zealand and I had a little white one with the red interior and I totally loved it, but I was driving from Wellington to Auckland and I fell asleep on the desert road and I ended up in a ditch. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I didn't do um, so well then. Uh, I had to just basically write the car off and I really, you know, I really loved that car. It just had such fond memories. I don't know if you know, Adrian, but a Triumph Herald can literally turn on, on its Yes, yes. They can do the most amazing little, you know, you don't have to do a three-point turn in a Triumph Herald. You just turn the steering wheel and... And around it goes. Yeah. They had a ridiculous turning circle. Yeah. Like just just crazy. And they were such so, a styly car. Well, I love them because, <clears throat> it, you know... Um, uh, an Italian designer called what was his name Giovanni um, mm, I should know this yeah. I should have written it down actually oh well it's okay National we can look it up somebody. yes yeah uh, he designed them for um, you know Leyland in yep. Britain and um, Motorworks yeah so <clears throat> I just started looking on Gumtree and looking on eBay and just started getting doing a bit of research and then I happened to just be in our Sydney showroom one day and I was talking to a client and she knew somebody who had one and it just all sort of fell into place. I ended up buying one in the last two years. So, I, and it was immaculate and I didn't even tell anyone. Anyway, I had to ship it up from, from Sydney to our Gold Coast warehouse. And my husband just scratched his head and said, have you gone nuts? Because I drive a really beautiful car. <laughs> I said, I just wanted a little classic car, you know. Absolutely. 
So my and, dad, my dad's always had classic cars. I think it's something that runs in my blood because my father has always restored old cars, uh-huh. and he has a beautiful. Um, I think it's a 1936 um, Buick, which wow. is fire engine red with white leather upholstery and white rim wheels, and it's absolutely immaculate. Uh-huh. He shipped that car over from New Zealand, and he and my father's best mate of however many years, Keith. Um, they've been like friends forever is a is a painter like a car painter panel you know spray painter so these two old dodgers you know have just been restoring cars over the years and when my dad saw my triumph herald he was like oh this is an awesome car he would have loved it yeah so he did a few little things but it didn't need much anyway i i really wanted a convertible so i again i started researching and i found a little convertible and i bought it off this Greek guy in Melbourne and I shipped it up to the Gold Coast and Dad and I are about to start a little restoration pro- project. Oh, how it's fantastic. a 1960. So my my other triumph, so yeah. I've got two now. So one's a 1970 and the convertible's a 1960. And they do have these triumph heralds in um, America because I actually was researching the convertible and I found a guy in Chicago who had done one up, same model as mine, a 1960. 948 Triumph Herald convertible and so we've been sort of I was asking him a few questions and yeah so it's so was there many of them that got to the US I don't think so I mean that you know I have a a, as you know I have a little Instagram account and Mm -hmm. um and I have a few people that follow me well you can (laughs) share that Instagram account what is it Oh, it's Triumph Heralds Australia, but it's Triumph underscore Heralds underscore Australia. Cool. We'll post yeah. that as well for all the other <laughs> fans. I think the, the fabulous thing about them, I remember them as a kid, is they were such a, um, they, were, they were British, you know, very British, but they were, they were kind of sporty and they, yeah. they had flair, you know, they had little fins and they had, as I opposed to say fins. a Morris Minor. You know, Morris Minor was like kind of bubbly, but this thing yeah. was sleek, as you say, Italian designed. It was like, and and still a small little car too, like a really cool little car. I just love all the jewellery on it as well. You know, like the fins, the little flag on the side of yeah. the um, back fins. I like the head cap, you know, the, um, the, the headlights. The, yeah, and the caps over the tops of them yeah. and stuff. It, you know, it, it brings me to this really interesting point with things everything gets designed everything by nature or by humans Hmm. nature tends to do a more seamless job than humans it's a better integrated one but when we when when something gets designed and you look at that triumph herald you know like every little piece of it somebody gave an artistic thought to there wasn't any bits that they just went oh that will do and Hmm. cars today have become very homogenized you know cars of the 50s were a really um interesting 50s 60s even 70s but then from there on they started to become more homogenized maybe it was wind tunnel development or crash you know development or something that that um impact development that made the the difference but they you know nowadays cars go down the street and yes you recognize them but there's a lot of very similar looking vehicles Back in those days, 
there were lots of similar sort of styling features, but they weren't similar looking vehicles, you know. Um, it, it, it's amazing because every time I drive, because I just, you know, drive it on the weekends and um, every time I drive it, I always get so many people that wave and honk and toot. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fun. It's easy to appreciate. Yeah. And I bet your dad's car's the same. It was, yeah. it, it's easy to appreciate. I interviewed just recently a lady that you've got to meet. In, in fact, you, yeah, the two of you get on like a house on fire. Um, Fern Santini, and she is um, a interior designer in Austin. And um, fabulous, fabulous woman, loves music. Well, you um, know I love Austin. It's yes. one of my favourite places. Well, this person, <laughs> you're going to fall in love with Fern as well because she is... A bird of a feather and she drives an e-type oh beautiful and she recently um they went down to um marfa texas so they trailered the e-type down so that they could drive it around while they were out there and then <laughs> trailered it back and i just go that's living it's i living. mean marfa's a pretty awesome place too i just love texas <laughs> yeah well i'm a big fan as well and for a couple of kiwis like we are it's a great mm. thing yeah, we've got to get there together, actually. You know, I know. Fern was telling me she's doing a um, dinner. She's got two dinners happening, and it's to raise money for um, music musicians um, for their um, health fund, I think it is, for the Musicians Health Fund. Um, and she's good friends with Brené Brown, and she's got Brené Brown coming to speak at one of these dinners. There's only 60 well, people awesome. invited. I know, I know. 60 people at each dinner, is it? It's in October and she's like, come, come for the dinner. And I'm like, I don't think we'll be allowed out or back in by then. Um, but I can't wait definitely to get not, there. Definitely not this year, but if, no. it, if she can do it again next year, I'll be we'll there. We'll both be there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save you a seat right next to me. Oh, no. She's, she's full of style like yourself. She is like unbelievably a style queen style point so let's jump to um you're new zealand born your, your yes. folks are kiwis that they live in australia as well um with that what what was your journey what was your your kind of the new zealand part of life like obviously schooling and stuff and then what made you you know jump across the ditch what was the what was all the big attractions um well look my parents were always um, running their own business and they worked really, really hard. Um, they both had their own independent businesses. Oh, right. Um, my, and then my mum and dad have always worked together in both of their businesses. So they've always really supported each other tremendously. Um, and so I sort of grew up in that environment when they were just so busy. I remember, you know, Friday nights, we used to, my mum had sort of quite a, a, a cash um positive business where there was a lot of money coming in yeah. and so we used to sit down on a Friday night my sister and I and lay all the money out all the cash out put it into piles How cool. <laughs> counting all the change and all the dollar notes and all the ten dollar notes and putting it all into piles and mum and dad worked really hard so they saved up and they took us out of school for two years I was about um, 11 or I was about 12 I think and um, and they took us around the world for two years. So we started in Australia. We bought a car and we travelled all the way from Sydney down to Melbourne and right up to Cairns and stopping in all the places. We had a few months in Australia and then we went to America 
Mm-hmm. And we bought another car and we drove all around America and up through Canada and over, you know, it was incredible. We went everywhere and we like, we took our time. We were in yep. America for many, many, many months. And then we went to the UK and we went all through Scotland, Island, Wales, and we all went, did the Euro train through um, Europe. And we lost my dad. We didn't have mobile phones and my dad was on the train and we thought we had plenty of time. And suddenly dad, the train leaves and mum and I and my sister are stuck in a train station in Italy. And dad's <laughs> going to Germany with all the luggage, no money and no passports. So oh, we, had lots of, <laughs> we had lots of crazy adventures together as a family. I remember we were in Greece and we were catching a ferry um, and we got on the ferry in Athens to go to one of the Greek islands and mum suddenly realised she'd left all our passports in the safe at the hotel. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so, no. <laughs> yeah, there were lots of crazy things and um, like that that happened. Anyway, I just got a real taste for travel. Yep. And, and I grew up, my, we grew up very quickly because we were obviously always yeah. with adults and, you know, when we were in Europe, we learned quickly to speak French and Italian and German because mum and dad had no sort of confidence or no idea. I mean, they had the confidence to take us around the world, but they didn't have the confidence to try and learn the language. Whereas you know, as whereas kids, kids, you just jumped in. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, so I think growing, you know, growing up in New Zealand was amazing because... But what it's, visionary it's so far away. Yeah, so far away. So you have to just, you know, you have to just be adventurous and go yeah. for it. Yeah, uh, look, that's one of the things I would say, just key point, you know, New Zealanders, I don't know whether they still have this kind of um, culture because they haven't lived there for a long time, but certainly um, adventurous and go for it. Think of the world's fastest Indian, you know, that, that movie with yeah. Anthony Hopkins. You know, Bert yeah. Monroe, you know, it, just it's you think of it and you you go for it. There's a there's a driving force and you make it you make it happen out of whatever's available not um and, and then back in this those days whatever was available arrived on a ship from somewhere um mm. and yeah what visionary parents becky my wife's parents um actually did similar types of things they'd go for six months and they would okay. go to africa for six months and they'd hire a camp or buy a camper van and then travel around in it and they did america as well and they would go, because her dad was a farmer, they would go to all these, they'd just be driving along and they'd see a, a nice looking farm and they'd drive up the driveway and go, g'day mate. Well, they probably didn't say g'day mate because they were Kiwis. Um, but they'd go, you know, um, and then they'd say, you know, hello to them and they'd tell them they were farmers from New Zealand and, you know, these, and then they'd be on camping on their farm for a couple of days and then they'd pack up and go to the next place and they'd go Amazing. to, you know, Sunday mass at the local church or whatever it was with them and just all that and again the experiences and you know the the thing that really fascinates me in the parallel is that you have an expectation of that's available to any everybody because your parents did it I remember when I first ever traveled I, I, I started out in the clothing industry and I chose the clothing industry because I figured it was some I'd be able to travel and somebody else would pay for it <laughs> There's the difference. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, well, clever, but also no vision as to how would I ever afford to do it myself. Mm. Yeah, and no, I, I just have this innate, you know. Um, drive. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and, and my father was always a massive goal setter and he taught us that, you know, you can, if you put your mind to it and you work hard, you can do anything you want. I love that. I love that. Where did he get those values from? 
I think my dad um, started his own business straight out of school when he left school at like 15. And his, his, you know, he's like a, in a, a line of my dad was a saw doctor always mm-hmm. worked in the timber industry and his father was a saw doctor and you know yeah. I think his parents we just had really really good open honest uh, family values yeah. so, and very driven like everybody in my family is very motivated to very that. ambitious do you know the other point that's really interesting is as both your parents were in their own businesses and so it would have been a rare thing for you not to have ended up with your own business. Um, I know, and, and my, my mother's mother, my grandmother, who I was very close to, she had her own business as well. Oh, wow. We're a line of powerful woman. <laughs> yeah. How cool is that, though? That's really yeah. cool. Because that would have been your mother's mother would have actually been you know, right on the cusp of whether she probably couldn't even open a bank account without a husband. That's it. She didn't have a driver's license. She couldn't, you know, she, yeah. we tried to teach her to drive later in life, but it was all too hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nightmare, scary nightmare. <laughs> How fabulous. So then what took you from um, New Zealand to Australia? Other than the weather, we all know the weather's a big draw card. Yeah. So, I mean, when I left school, I went, I did fashion design. Yes, um, I know. Text- and textile design at Wellington Polytech. That was after working for a year for JAG um, jeans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, in Rotorua, they had a big yeah. factory there, and I was an apprentice pattern maker. Um, I used to actually have a really close girlfriend, Rebecca Gibney. You know, Rebecca yes. from yeah. yes. television. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I came to Melbourne to stay with her for a, a few weeks. Um, she was dating John English at the time, and that would have been exciting. And she was working on that zoo family program. And so, um, you know, it was just fun. I just basically, I was on my way to England and I got an air infection when I was staying with her. I got picked up some sort of flu or something. Anyway, I had to extend my trip. And I think I stayed with her for about three or four weeks. And then I, I left Australia and I went to India. And I was only like 18 or 19. And, um, and you, so you I, went from here to India. Yeah, just on your from, way to England. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. So I landed in Bombay. That was pretty overwhelming and daunting. I, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> but I've been to India hundreds of times, well, so many times over the last, you know, 25 years because of my business. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I love India. But yeah, I basically ended up in London and um, I was just one of the, those Kiwis that wanted to go over and explore Europe and get a job. I got a job as a nanny. I lasted two weeks. I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I, was, I was not one of the lucky ones. I mean, I've got cousins who have landed the most incredible nanning jobs, but I, I wasn't one of them. I you weren't one of those? No. No. Um, and then so I ended up getting a job with an interior designer in Bath and I moved to Bath to work for her. Whereabouts, from, of... whereabouts from Bath were you? Because I used to live in Bath as well. Wow. I had the most cutest little house in Box. We lived on a farm. I had a boyfriend. We lived on a farm in a village called Box, just out oh, of Bath. But, I've got to look yeah. it up, but yeah. Yeah. And Box, we, we used to hang out at the Box pub. And, um, oh, and Rossiter's um, was a really cute cute little mini department store yeah. and it was right in the heart of Bath and it's still there in the cobblestone streets and I'm pretty sure it's still going. It's I'm going to look it up because um, I used to live right in the middle of town 
Um, but anybody who knows Bath, um, I used to live opposite and up, upstairs from, um, oh goodness, now it escapes me. Oh, it'll come back. Anyway, it's, uh, it's like a lingerie store. It's like one of oh. those sort of slightly cheap and trashy lingerie um, chains. And um, you, that was always really fascinating. If you were at home, you'd look out the window and see who was coming and going. And I used to live on the circus. Wow. Up the top, on the top corner of the circus. I used and to live up there. So many houses up there, you know. Oh, I um, bet. Decorating so many of those beautiful Georgian homes. Oh, just incredible, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I had an incredible experience there. And I made so many friends who I'm still, you know, one of yeah. my closest girlfriends um, I met whilst working at that shop and that interior design. I mean, the, it wasn't just interior design. They saw, they had a, you know, kitchen department, a women's fashion department. Yes. They had yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. Um, I was in the interior design department working with the owner sort of as her junior. Yeah. So I learned a lot. And that's when I got a taste of um, interiors and I thought, I can't go back. I'm not interested in fashion any longer. I grew up, all of my family were involved in the fashion industry in New Zealand. My mum's cousin, my second cousin, is a woman by the name of Marilyn Sainty. And she's Marilyn. a really well-known yeah. she well yeah. designer in New Zealand. So yeah. Yeah. I'm retired now. But, yeah, yes. so um, I then got a Kim, my girlfriend, Kim Dicker, um, sort of put me forward for as a, a job for a sales, being a sales rep, selling fabrics and wallpapers. And mm -hmm. I got that job and I haven't looked back. That's pretty much what I've done. And I still do it. I'm still a rep. It's still do it, own. yeah. It's, <laughs> exactly. Still still actually supplying those things. You know, one of the things I you were saying about how you studied textiles at Wellington Polytech and stuff, textiles is like a rabbit hole, you know, it's this, it's this most amazing thing. I remember discovering them, you know, obviously in my fashion career and just how beautiful and complex and how the, how the textiles deliver, they've, they've got they're, they're pieces of art and we just happen to cut them into clothing or in, into, you know, for furniture. And one of the things that you get to do is, is you, you, this is kind of like something that sort of, becomes a part of you, you know, feeling them and Very seeing hard. them and seeing how they drape and seeing the materiality of them, what they're made of and what happens is such a lovely journey. I still, uh, you know, like textiles, they, they, they kind of like my mind goes, oh, oh, I need to feel it and stuff. And when I see beautiful pieces of fabric, probably much like you would, you start imagining it either in an environment or on people and you start mm. to, you start to see a personality for it absolutely and i i just love natural fibers you know i love natural you know i i love um i mean i'm obviously doing a lot of upholstery now with yes. um you know and using alpaca mohair and cashmere and beautiful new zealand wool and linen and cotton and just beautiful textures i mean nature is amazing what it can produce but i also love to sew i don't have a you know i don't have a lot of time for it but i yeah. have had my own sewing machine which i've dragged around with me for many many years <laughs> i'm very creative my grandmother and i used to sit and you know do all sorts of things with fabric and so i've really just been brought up around it and i just love it yeah yeah it, it, it's a magical it's very inspiring. place yeah, magical place to start. And I know, you know, like I look at rugs and when I start to understand how rugs go together and what you can do with that, again, you'd go, oh, here's a whole nother, um, I don't know, 
piece that of play like so it's like getting a new toy that you can play with all these different things and it will keep delivering over and over it's, and i've um, been so fortunate that i've gone to all different parts of the world to see you know the raw materials growing in the field that yeah. you know produced in in businesses where you know like particularly rugs going to india and seeing you know the hand knotting process and how the families all work together and yeah, it's just incredible. And, you know, starting up with the raw materials and what you ended up with, it's amazing. Yes, just, in, yeah. And, and yeah, the the techniques that are used. One Actually, one of the beautiful things about rug making is, you know, in, in quality rug making, there's lots of variables, but it's, it's still done largely in an old-fashioned manner. It's still... Yeah. So we, we as a business only sell hand-knotted and hand-loomed rugs. We don't sell any highly manufactured tufted rugs at all. Yep. Um, so every everything that we sell at Boyd Blue is crafted by artisans. And, you know, those techniques have been handed down through many generations. And I just love that. And they're all small family units. You know, a lot of our factories are many, many generations old. That's beautiful, eh? And you get to know them and you get to see how, you know, the, the, the sustainability of what you do. Absolutely, yeah. And they're still using a lot of those same techniques that they used many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, that that's something also when you get into bespoke furniture and, you know, like, again, I know you design a lot of, or design and develop a lot of furniture. Um yeah. Again, you're working with artisans. And uh, yeah. is, let's My segue passion. to that. Yeah, I was about to say, I know it is such a passion and sustainability with that as well. Um, let's segue to that. Tell me about that point of what what's that part of the journey and what matters about it and what do you see as the future of it? That'd be really cool. Hmm. I mean, look, I've been on a journey. I started Boyd Blue 23 years ago or coming up to 23 years ago. And I wanted to be um, a one-stop shop for designers. My, my passion was always textiles, but then I thought everyone's getting busier and I wanted to sell quality. And um, my motto was buy once, buy well. I, you know, I'm not a Beautiful. huge consumer myself. I've always just liked to save up and buy that piece that I know I could potentially have forever. Yes. Um, and so that's sort of how I've liked to curate my collection as well. I've wanted to have, you know, source product and design product that I know will be timeless that will last you know we, we're not a business that follows trends mm -hmm. although we do we do have influences oh, um, absolutely like I'll segue in that little piece a little bit yeah you aren't you, you're not following trends what you're doing is is you're curating um, environments and there are pieces of trends that will be rolling through that, but it's not about, um, it'd be very rare that you could ever go into someone's home and unless you knew all your product catalog, you couldn't tell whether where it was designed from, but it could be all from, or all could be from Boyd Blue, but yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell that. It's very eclectic, but in, the, in it being very eclectic, it always has a fabulous thread that yeah. just about anything goes with anything else. Um, you can play like, you know, like it's like having building blocks. You can grab pieces from here, 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 and then these two pieces will link everything. You know, it's I love that. Yeah. I love that part of it. 
Thank you, Adrian. Look, I'm just so incredibly passionate about working with creative people. So I, and I don't jump in and just work with anyone. Like we take our time and I just, you know, my wish is that everyone just slows down and, you know, I don't want to live in a throwaway world. I want to, um, I love using, you know, putting recycled materials into our products. I love that juxtaposition between something really organic and really, you know, um, I don't want to use the word rustic. I'm trying to come up with a different word, but just really organic and earthy. Artisan. Yeah, artisan juxtaposed with something quite still artisan, but very refined and beautiful. You know, that mix. Exactly. So we're working, you know, we chose many years ago to work with countries like India, Indonesia and the Philippines. India is very organic and artisan and creative. And then Indonesia is a little bit more polished, but the Philippines is very refined. I mean, they're... Yes. Their artists and their creatives are so, and their designs are so, just designers are so clever. But they don't have a lot of natural resources in the Philippines, so they have to import a lot of product. And so it's a lot more expensive than countries like India and Indonesia. So, you know, it's just getting that nice balance. So we have quite a cross section of um, pieces. And I I am worried about the future of creatives and artisans. Mm -hmm. You know, those countries, we don't import from China. We specifically, want to um, support those countries that are trying to keep that handicraft business alive. Mm-hmm. And of course, all the youth um, want to go and work in telemarketing and, you know, um, they want to work. Or, yeah. yeah, IT is a big one. Um, and so the reason I love working with these family businesses is because they're actually putting so much back into educating their workers' children and trying to keep those handicraft, you know, businesses alive. It's, it is a bit of a sunset industry, though, and we have to be very careful. And that's why I encourage everyone out there to support, you know, companies like, like us 100%. who really have a strong belief that if we don't, you know, if we're if there aren't companies like us developing and working with those third world country, you know, um, artisan sort of handcraft people, then we're going to lose that. I I'm with you, you know. Like I th- I think I'm a, again one of those people that for the most part buy once. I I, I very much I hate waste. I I hate waste. Oh, I hate I hate things being though. thrown out. I've got clothes in my drawer that would be 35 years old because I bought them, you know, back in the fashion industry days and I still wear them. I don't wear them often because I don't want them to wear out. Um, Well, I'll say like buried or burnt in one of them, you know, like. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I love wearing my, I mean, I've got clothes my mum's got clothes that she's had for so many years and we buy timeless you know mm-hmm. if, if you buy quality and spend a bit more you potentially could have it forever and I was when Carla Sampati you know an Australian yeah. designer passed away recently that was so sad and you know I pulled out so many things in my wardrobe that I still love and wear of hers yeah so, what know, a beautiful nice. gift that is as well isn't it like you know you buy something that matters to you and it continues to matter to you for, for years and years and years and years like it's um I, I love that and and the same with you know your furniture and you know I, I was at a, a friend's place the other day and um they had a set of your lamps in there and um I was sitting you know sitting on their sofa and looking across and we were chatting and having a whiskey and I went damn those are good lamps you know that they are just beautiful lamps 
And uh, he was saying to me, he said, you know, again, you could throw away a lot of lamps before you'd buy that. And um, he's like, I wanted something that was just a beautiful thing that was timeless enough that it wouldn't be fashionable ever, but it would always be of a, you know, like it would always have style. That's that kind of thing between trend and style and, you know, fashion. Fashion can be fast and furious and you can throw it away. But then there's this thing when you get locking this next level down, which is and getting to people's style. And then they're building out their own style from pieces of stuff that are around. And then, you know, those are... That's well, that's you as a person, but it's also it's such a beautiful space to be in. And it feels right when you're in the space of somebody who has a style. It always there's something that just feels right. It kind of glides together beautifully. And it might be great style or not great style. It doesn't really matter. It might be, you know, for some people, it's like you go, oh, I'm not sure about that. But if it's got style, there's the underlying factor that you just you can't ignore it. No, it, it, it belongs. I mean, one of our biggest selling sofas is um, a sofa that I have in my own home, which we've had for 17 years at home. And it's one of our, still one of our most popular pieces, you know, and it's just a beautiful, comfortable investment sofa that we'll have yep. for another 30 years. I would never change it, you know. You've got to love that, don't you? And that, that if you amortise the cost of, you know, a sofa over 30 years, and yes, you might change the cover on it a couple of times. Yeah. But if it's built right, made right, and it's great quality and it's got style, it's got, you know, timelessness, you don't have to do anything else to it. You know, you'll wear the covers down. That's, I think that's one of those beautiful things and that, that sofa will have a story as well. And I love when we, when we do jobs with people and they go, oh, well, we've got Nana's, you know, whatever it is. And they're going, they're sort of looking at it going, well, should we really keep it? And you go, well, let's just have a decent look at this thing. And then how do we work with this thing? Because like I'm doing a, a property for some people at the moment. And I said to her, if you go all your furniture me measurements of current furniture, because she's telling me about all this furniture that she's got, they've moved out of their home and we're doing another property for them. And um, her eyes are lighting up with every story of every piece okay. where she bought nice. it why it mattered, all quality. And I'm going, have you got all your measurements? She's going, oh, no, am I going to get, get those? And I said, if you want walls to put them on, I'm about to draw walls. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we want to work out where they're going to be so that we don't end up with a wall too short or a wall too long. Well, wall too long we can deal with, a wall too short to put them on. Yeah. Uh, that's that beautiful part of it. So when, with the artisan side of it, and I know you go way beyond just, um, you know, the um, third world or, you know, Asian countries for that. Finding artisans around the world is something that's really a beautiful thing, you know, going and unearthing them, you know, in Italy or in even America a lot. One I think things... with COVID, I think we're going to see a lot more. I think a lot of people have had a lot of time to rethink what they love and where their passion lies. And I think this is so true. Yeah. Keep going. I think, that's the, I think that's the silver lining with COVID is that we've all had some time to think about, like me with my little Triumph Herald, you know, yep. I mean, who would have thought I would have wanted one of those five years ago? I would never have thought that. 
Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people, we have a friend who was an accountant who's just started making leather wallets and completely left the field and he's <laughs> got into baking and he's actually making a living out of that, by the way. But he's you an know, accountant so, to start with, so he's probably run the numbers. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, he but, but was how able, perfect. Yeah, so, um, but there, I think there are lots of people who have found their passion. You know, they've always had a hobby and they're, they're turning it into a business now. I think, I think one of the things that in the silver lining of COVID like that is people have taken stock of what matters somewhat. Um, yeah. And one of the things that, from being in the fashion industry and I've traveled a lot and still do travel a fair bit, is the world's become very homogenized in so many ways. You can, you know, I remember when you could only really find a Prada store and maybe, you know, 20 locations in the world. Now you can find one in every location in the world kind of thing. And you had to actually travel somewhere to experience. Um, and in the, Singapore, they're on every block almost. That's it. You know, yeah. Remember when you had to travel and wherever you got to, there was so much unique stuff that mm. it wasn't just the culture of the place, but the um, the things in the stores and the way people had their homes and stuff. It was so unique. And then now with, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, all these things, we see everything in a flash of a second. And what was in, you know, Istanbul can be in Brisbane, you know, within two weeks. And we the lose... a much smaller place. Yeah, but we lose the local flavour or the local meaning to it. And mm. uh, one of those things that I go... I think that COVID, we're going to, when we do get to travel again, A, we'll take it a whole lot more, um, not seriously, but with a whole lot more gratitude. Um, yeah. Even those of us who are so grateful for traveling, for being, having traveled and seen so much, our gratitude level is going to go up horrendously because we're going to see what was taken away from us. And what we're going to see is we're going to see what you were saying is this cultural lift where people are going to be doing more things that you can't buy everywhere. You can't, won't find it everywhere. And they're not trying to put it in a big store on the corner of every street. What they're doing is, is they're trying to find a, a very bespoke tribe that loves what they do. And it's actually inspired me to um, open part of my business up to local artists. We're opening on the 9th of September in Brisbane. We're going to be rolling out a, a gallery space within our Brisbane showroom to support local artists. Cool. Um, and that's all different genres. Could be sculpture, could be painters, could be textile artists, you know, um, celebrating their, their craft and curating it. But, so it's on brand with what we love. But you know, it's not a money-making exercise at all. It's just wanting to really support them because a lot of people have lost their jobs and, you know, yeah. they're having to, 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 you know, try and make a living out of their, their skill or their craft. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, without art, the world is a very bland place. Absolutely. You know, yeah, it, no. it, 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 one of the artists that we've um, we've done a new collection with, he he was employed full time, and he had this amazing um, process making concrete, um, beautiful concrete pieces. He's just yeah. in Brisbane, and so concrete sculptures, pots, um, beautiful bowls, and everything's inspired. So concrete 
but inspired by sort of natural and um, you know coral finishes. I don't know if you've seen oh, the latest wow. um, laid back luxury collection that we've done, but we're doing these big concrete centerpiece bowls with coral sort of imprinted on the outside of them. They're absolutely stunning. And I then haven't, color, but I need to. <laughs> to color the concrete, he would then put it in a fire of eucalyptus leaves oh. and burn it. And it's just amazing process. Anyway, he gave up his job. And he's doing it full time now. And, you know, we're supporting him and, and, you know, selling his pieces all around Australia. And I think that's really cool. And he's so oh. busy. Uh, look, that's and, what I love to hear. It goes from survive to thrive. Yeah. And, and, and people, again, I love the fact that he's using concrete because it won't internationalize too quickly. Um, yeah. It's too heavy to, to travel with. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it will localize beautifully and when he's doing things like those eucalyptus leaves it's of this country it's of this space that's absolutely and we're wanting to work more and more with local artists because we're logistically in the poo at the moment you know yeah really the, containers but, from where mm. oh absolutely and you know we've got our factories in indonesia you know they've got 80 people calling in sick a week you know, with wow. COVID, I, mean, wow. I don't know if you saw the news, but there were 40 something thousand people yesterday getting, you know, with COVID. That's a day. That's the, you know, it was 20,000 a day. Now it's jumped it's to over 40,000 40, a day. It's so it's so really, sad. it's really terrible. And we're touching base with all of our factories fairly regularly and just seeing how they're going and, and they're struggling, you know, because it's a handcrafted industry. Mm -hmm. And if you've got half your workforce away, um, well, and not only that, if you've got half your workforce away, they're probably not earning money either. And then as a village, you know, everybody has to, well, not everybody has to, but it, we want to support all those people. They all belong to yeah. people. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, yeah, we're just trying to figure all that out at the moment. It's not easy. No, I can imagine. Um, it's a, Yeah, that's a really tricky one. It is a really tricky one. I know that the globally the architectural and interior design industry is going off and so busy and I, when I say globally I always have to preface that with first world because mm. the third world isn't having anywhere near the journey the first world is um, yeah. in this and yeah we've got to be watching everything you know I interviewed a guy a while back James Bartle from Outland Denim um, and, you know, he produces uh, Outland jeans and denim wear and stuff um, out yeah. of Cambodia. And uh, his, his whole mission is, is, to, to, is to bring girls out of sex slavery. That's his mission. That's why he produces jeans there. He produces jeans for Nudie Jeans as well um, okay. and some other brands as well. But he, his own brand as well is that. But his purpose is, is to save these girls basically that's that's what why he's getting up every morning but again handcrafted um when i say handcrafted they're jeans they're manufactured um yeah but, but that's they, amazing yeah again i uh, just go these people that take it upon themselves to change you know how the world operates or not change how it operates how to improve how it operates by using our first world knowledge and implanting it into the third world industries um like you do, like the same as you do. So yeah. with Boyd Blue, um, tell me what's the next, oh, I don't know, three to 
three years, let's only look that far out. What What's the next three years look like for you? What's the plan? Um, gosh, I normally would be able to just like that. But I know, no, but like it's COVID just, times, just like we exactly. said. Yeah. And, you know, our Sydney showroom's been in lockdown. This is coming up to four weeks. And we've just heard this morning that maybe Melbourne will be in lockdown again. So I've been in Melbourne now six weeks. I got down here two days before they announced a two-week lockdown. And then... I don't know. Um, Adrian, this time next year, I hope that my husband and I will be on a six-month holiday in Greece and Romania and Portugal. They're the three countries we want to go to. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm taking, my plan is that we can take six months away from the business because we're feeling not burnt out. I mean, I'm so passionate and motivated yeah. with business, but yeah. I've never really had a decent, I've never had a break. And the last 18 months, well the last year nearly 18 months have been the most stressful because I have a fairly large team and I have four locations and quite high overheads mm -hmm. and it's been hard it's been the hardest journey. I remember talking to you just as COVID lockdowns and stuff started and we were talking about who knows what was going to happen next and what sort of strategies yeah, business strategies and development strategies and, you know, how just, mm. again, and it's like everybody I was talking to around the world, we were all having the similar conversations and then sort of looking at people who do good business and saying, okay, well, let's, what are we hearing from where? What are we seeing from where? Um, you know, where's the risks? What can we do? How can we reevaluate what the, the picture looks like? How do you come out of this stronger than you went into it? And the amount of uncertainty, I'm with you. Like people say to me as well, the same thing. I've got builders who say, you know, we're booked out for two years and, um, you know, building prices are going through the roof at the moment. We've got massive inflation. I know, real estate's just gone totally nuts. Just Look, as of, always, I feel so optimistic. I, yeah. You know, I, I can't let myself be anything other than optimistic and I'm always looking for the silver lining. And yep. I, I have an incredible team. I, we're all just practising positivity and being kind and supportive to one another at the moment. I have five staff in Sydney working from home and that's tough because, you know, there a lot of clients just shut off. They've hit the wall. They, yes. You know, they're... they're they're not interested in talking, you know, mm -hmm. so that's, so we're trying to, so yesterday I spent the whole day with a video, video. Yeah. Um, a videographer right? or a video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a guy with a video um, camera. <laughs> yeah. Like a professional dude filming me in action, doing presentations to clients in the showroom, talking about my passion, why we do what we do, how much we love dealing with professional designers. We're a business that's totally geared and totally focused to dealing with design. You know, designers, architects, developers, hospitality, aged care, anybody who needs designers. Yes, you know, um, that's what we, you guys do. That's it. So we're, we're the sort of supplier, hopefully, of um, choice for people who understand how we work. And... Um, so it was just for us, it's about we can't get clients into our showroom. We're, we're if the showrooms are closed, let's take them on a journey through the showroom with the, with the cameraman and myself. And so we're working on that. Hopefully that'll be released in a couple of weeks. Oh, I'm um, so keen to see that. That'd be really cool. <laughs> and, 
and we're just um, we're we're obviously big on digital now, and it's yes. it's an area. I mean, you know that we have all my gorgeous team are just doing Zoom chats and doing um, you know presentations on Zoom and mm -hmm. just trying to help our clients. Which uh, I had my team here yesterday wrapping up beautiful all of our catalogs and making them special with a nice you know ribbon around them and yep. going the extra, going the extra mile like you do. Yeah, and we'll just be delivering those and popping them on, on the doorstep of our good clients' homes and just mm. trying to keep them inspired, you know. For us, it's all about just keeping that momentum up. And, you know, we have a wonderful website and, you know, everything we do, we're just – our whole goal is just polishing everything we do. So three years' time, I would say that we would just have um, really figured out through this whole process – I realized that we were trying to be too many things. So we've uh -huh. just contracted slightly um, and we've really figured out what our ideal client looks like and where our whole focus is on, you know, giving them an amazing experience. I think that's a beautiful thing as well. Like being able to go, this is actually who we speak to best. And if yeah. this is who we speak to best, how do we better understand them and, 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 get the nuances of their language, not, not just their language, just get the mm. nuances of their language so that you become, uh, I suppose I want to say trusted friend. It's not even that. It's, it's, um, it's that they become personalised. Very much personalized. so. And look, I love cooking. So I've, I'm in Melbourne. I've got a, you know, I've been making batches of scones. What, and sending them home to Yon. <laughs> no, doing like high tea and morning teas for clients in the showroom and you know like if I can do if I can do it myself why not so I'm down here on my own yon's up in Queensland and I've got nothing better to do other than you know just try and impress our clients with my and, with my cooking and pamper them <laughs> that's fantastic so, you know yeah, out I'm of doing that dinner parties as well in the showroom and I'm cooking oh fantastic yeah. How cool. Are people, what, what's their response to that? Um, well, I've only had one and it was awesome. And I've got yeah. another one booked on the, I've got two more booked actually, one on the 22nd and one on the 28th. Um, really lovely. And then I've been taking clients out for dinner and that's been really nice. I've just been wanting to get to know yeah. people you know, yeah. and, and go beyond that. Um, yeah, we'll go beyond the level of we're doing business. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. That, that go beyond that to that. Um, we're part of a, a, a tribe or a community or a family or whatever it is that we're yeah. we're part of this ecosystem and um, and that everybody in it gets valued I think that's a so many of my clients have become really good friends over the years you know like I really it doesn't surprise me in the slightest <laughs> yeah, no, it's, well you know it's this is that that thing of um, you what you do is such a passion and when people fall in love with what you have got to offer, then they're actually getting a piece of you. They're not just getting the goods. They're not just getting whatever they're getting. And they might be getting those through a designer. Um, but yeah. then when they get that next level of in the showroom, that's it's about it's your passion and it's about how you see that part of the world. And, I mean, I've always said this to you, you know, like you've got this amazing eye and 
look, if, if you could just wander into your showroom and hang out there for a month or so, if it was by the sea, it'd be a beautiful place to be. be you could experience a whole lot of things. And yeah. it'd be like. And a, I, think, I think at night, you know, we light the candles and the whole atmosphere yeah. is quite lovely in the showroom. And, you know, just to have a drink. I had clients here last Friday night and they came from the Mornington Peninsula. So it was a pretty big effort on a Friday. Yeah. They turned up at five o'clock and we cracked open a bottle of bubbles and, you know, had never been to Usher and we've been here nearly 10 years in Melbourne wow. and they'd never, they'd never made, you know, the time to come. And I, I forced their hand and said, come and have a bottle of bubbles with me and yeah. wander through. It was just the loveliest experience. And they had a dinner booking and it was like eight o'clock. I said, hey, what time's your dinner booking? And they just, the time had just gotten away, you know. Yeah. Um, so they were here for three hours and yeah, they, they really enjoyed it. They sent me a beautiful note and just said how much, you know, how invested they are now, you know, just in yeah, absolutely. The, whole, the whole experience. Yeah, I think that's where Being those, the video, yeah, the videos, that's, the videos that you're doing, if, if they portray or, or convey that um, passion of yours and the way the whole feeling of it works, um, so. a whole lot of people are going to get such a, a depth of love and passion and purpose that yeah. uh, the, the connection will be even deeper. That's actually one of the things that makes it, it's a really good point, is it's a, your love of it and your passion and then your purpose of it, of why you do it and your purpose that goes backwards to the people who produce it um, makes it a solid story, makes it a makes it a story that is so congruent and so authentic that it's just, you can't ignore it, you can't ignore mm -hmm. it. No, anybody in Australia, if you um, are looking for, you know, goods for your home, um, for furniture and tasteful, elegant, um, still raw. Um, you should. Go I always and see like Shelley. to say it's understated luxury. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is understated luxury. It's a beautiful, a beautiful statement way of putting that because it doesn't have to scream. But believe me, it's all there. It's. Uh, mm. Shelley, is there anything else um, that you would recommend to your younger self if you were twenty now? What would you tell yourself that you would change in this journey or you would? Um... I would have started my business straight away. I wouldn't have waited. Stop buggering around and get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> I had so much drive and so much commitment. And, you know, I just gave so much of myself to my employers. You know, yeah. like I worked, I worked like it was my own business always. Yeah. And I should have started my business 10 years before I did. That would be your advice. That's good. Yeah. Samantha mm -hmm. Wills, I was talking to Samantha, and I, I mean, I think she's an amazing woman. And she said to me, you know, people were always sort of saying to her, oh, you, was, you were so clever or you were so brave or whatever. And she was like, I didn't know. <laughs> no, I just did. I just got yeah. out and did it. And she said, I didn't know what would fall apart and what would, you know, be bad for me or good for me. She said, I just got out there and did it. And my naive self got me to the point where I could actually learn more. But mm -hmm. without having that naivety, if she'd had all the knowledge, she might never have looked at it and gone, it would have been insurmountable. But just getting started. Yeah, I, I, but in saying that, I also think everything happens for a reason. And for some reason, I, I obviously wasn't ready then. But yes, I, right. um, I, did, I did give a lot to a lot of people that I worked for. 
And um, by the time I got to start my business, I think I was 36 when I started my Right. Yeah, so 35, 36. Um, yeah. And it's like, okay, now, now I'm really working hard. <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling my kids I'm going to live to 120, so I've got plenty of time to do stuff. It's not a problem. I'm going to keep working forever. Um, I was, again, you know, I love these little stories about people saying, oh, they're going to retire. And I'm like, I couldn't even imagine what retiring would mean um, other than that I'd be uh, something would be taken away from me that I love to do. Um, I was talking okay. with um, Glenn Murkett and he said, somebody asked him when he was going to retire. And he said, oh, you'll know when because they'll be putting me in a box because yeah. <laughs> it's such a joy to do what he does. It's, it's not work. It's a it's a, a pleasure. It's a gift, and it's a pleasure, and it's one that you share. Absolutely, I can't yeah. wait to get back on a plane. Yes, exactly. Overseas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Just just to experience that depth of um, shift in culture again. Yeah, and seeing our friends. You know, we've got mm -hmm. friends all around the world, and you know, it's not not quite the same on a Zoom or a FaceTime chat. Yeah, it isn't. It lacks that sort of uh, that, you know, beautiful closeness that things have. I remember um, listening to the Dalai Lama. He was being asked, um, "What was somebody that he if he if he was to meet somebody, what would he do?" And he gave some answer of, you know, well, he would ask about this, and he said there's two answers or something like that. And he said, one of them was what we would expect him to do, which was talk to them about something. He said, but what I would truly do want to do is just sit in their presence. How lovely. <laughs> because the exchange is already there without the words. And that's the Absolutely. part that we miss. You know, we can do this, but us sitting with a glass of wine and, and hanging out, it's got a different yeah. level of depth to it. And it's, Definitely. Um, it's a specialness. I'm with you. I, the minute I can do it, I will go and catch up with my friends that are offshore and see them. I'm tempted, very tempted at the moment to try and get home to my dad's 93rd birthday um, in New Zealand. And uh, I, I do have that one preferous thing of going, I could get stuck there. Um, but that so what? You can do anything from, from your computer wherever you are. <laughs> and you, but you've only got one dad and you've only got one opportunity to be there at his 93rd birthday. That's it. And he won't have, well, I keep saying to him, what have you planned for, you know, your 103rd? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I'll make it that far. And I'm like, he says, I don't, didn't expect to get this far. And I'm like, well, dad, you know, you should start planning these things because, so far, you're fit and healthy. There's a good chance you're going to be there. So, you know, put some things in the calendar that are goals that you want to look forward to. Absolutely. <laughs> Just book that trip, Adrian. Yep. Don't hesitate. It's probably going to end up being in the next two weeks. So, yeah, that's the plan. Mm. That's good. Yeah, no, that's good. We're all going to have those goals to look forward to. Uh, and family uh, is so special. Oh, yeah, you can't get that, those moments back. But you can't with your friends as well. You can't get those moments back, you know, if you miss them. They they yeah. go, yeah. It only takes to lose a couple. Close, close friends are family, aren't they? they really, are. it doesn't have to be blood. That's it. That's it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But Shelley, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. We're going to post all your socials, and when you've got those um, links up, maybe we could add those 
um, as well. That would be really cool so that people can actually see you in action. That'd be really fun. <laughs> um, they'll have to go to our website to get to those, but that would be really yeah. cool. Really, really, really love chatting to you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you and looking forward to a glass of wine. Absolutely. I don't know when I'll be back in Queensland with all this, you know. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, but I'm here supporting my team. And that's why, because, you know, we've been closed for seven months in Melbourne. And wow. I just needed to just get down here and be their rock because they have been through hell. Yeah. Um, so I'm making them feel, you know, supported and cooking them lunch and helping them, you know, motivate them. and Give them the love. Exactly. And giving our clients lots of love down here mm. as well, which is mm. it's, it's really lovely. It's, I'm enjoying it, although it's winter and it's freezing. Yeah, well, it's not that warm in Queensland either, to tell you the truth, but a lot warmer than there. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a lot warmer than you are. Thank you again, Shelley. So nice talking to you. We'll Thanks, catch Adrian. up soon. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.